0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I've just come out with a book that I want to talk to you about in this podcast. It's called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. And what it does is it looks at the 2016 election from a faith perspective. Now, if you know what I do at all, you know that I wrote The Faith of George W. Bush. I wrote the book The Faith of Barack Obama. I've also written on the faith of another president, the faith of Abraham Lincoln. It's called Lincoln's Battle with God. So I'm interested in presidents. I'm interested in how faith shapes presidents as I am interested in how faith and religion shape cultures. And so I certainly intended to write about faith and Donald Trump. But the reason that I didn't write a book called The Faith of Donald Trump is that he's a little bit different from Obama and Mr. Bush. Uh, Mr. Obama and Mr. Bush. I didn't mean that to be a pejorative. Um, He does not seem to have had throughout his life uh, a defining religious perspective, uh, a faith that shapes him, a faith that defines who he is and what he does. Uh, He's attended church throughout most of his life. I'll talk about some of the religious influences in his life here in a few minutes. But uh, he he was just different from Mr. Bush and Mr. Obama. And uh, I didn't want to suggest in the title that there was a defining faith that I was going to highlight for 200 pages that uh, would be the same as the other two. Two books. Instead, what I wanted to do was look at the forces that came into play during the 2016 election. Now, my book is not just an electoral history. It's very much about human beings and what they did. Because what we have to understand from the 2016 election, and by the way, this election is going to echo for years in our lives and in American history, is that Donald Trump, who is, was pretty much described at the beginning of the election as a secular real estate mogul or a secular real estate uh, magnet. Some people use that word, but mogul, I think, is maybe the better word um, that he not only sort of found religion as a political thing. I'm not saying he wasn't serious in his own religious life. I'm saying he, for a very specific reason, began to understand the concerns of of conservatively religious Americans and began to talk about them. And as a result in the 2016 election, he not only defeated a slate of Republican candidates in the primaries all of whom had deeper spiritual resumes than him all some of whom were pastors actually, uh, all of whom claimed almost all of whom claimed to be evangelicals he not only defeated them uh, but in the general election against Hillary Clinton he he won the votes of 81 percent of white evangelicals, half of all Roman Catholics in America and half of all churchgoers in America an absolutely stunning feat well, How did this happen, Uh, and what is the religious background of Donald Trump. Let me just do this very briefly in this podcast, because of course, what I'm urging you towards is a reading of the book. It's not It's not a, a defense of Trump. It's not an attack on Trump. It's an honest look at the factors that are going to continue to echo in American culture and in our churches for years to come. Now, Donald Trump did have a religious background. He was raised in a Presbyterian church when he was a little boy. Um, his family eventually switched from a Presbyterian church in New York to Marble Collegiate. Church, and one of the reasons they did was that that church was pastored by Norman Vincent Peale. Now you probably know the name Norman Vincent Peale from the famous book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Norman Vincent Peale is an interesting figure in American history because he really was—he really had two streams flowing through his life. On the one hand, at the personal level, he believed in the born again Christianity, and that's that's his phrase, not mine. The born again Christianity. Uh, he believed in salvation in Jesus. He believed in um, transformation through the gospel of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit and sort of the core of the traditional Christian gospel. But publicly, all around America, in great big arenas and around the world, Norman Vincent Peale was associated with the idea, uh, with basically uh, uh, being one of the early great motivational speakers. He believed that your attitude could shape your life. He believed that your words could shape your life. Uh, He he believed that there was... uh, uh, an invisible law of uh, sort of s- sowing and reaping of, uh, of what you put out in the world came back to you. Um, he believed, for example, that attitudes were attitudes were more important than facts. Um, he, he believed that a positive mental attitude could actually change your reality and give you a successful life. Um, he believed he taught a philosophy that taught people how to be a success, how to win, how to achieve. And so you had these two streams of Norman Vincent Peale's life. He, he really was a. Uh, to say he was an early Billy Graham, I think, is to miss the mark. Um, he was as famous as Billy Graham. Uh, he was honored a great deal. He was welcomed in the White House. He was one of those early great religious leaders uh, in the in the in the 20th century. But two streams came from his life. As I say, one was the born again brand of Christianity. The other was his more motivational side. And I believe that Donald Trump, who sat under Norman Vincent Peale, who loved him, who listened to him, who, by the way, stopped going to church regularly when Norman Vincent Peale ceased being the pastor of his church, um, who claims that Norman Vincent Peale said that, that Donald Trump was his greatest disciple, uh, I believe that Donald Trump drank heavily from the motivational side of Norman Vincent Peale, and it was not as influenced by the transformation in Jesus' side of Norman Vincent Peale. And we see this every day. Uh, when Donald Trump sort of defies facts but goes with attitudes and bravado, this is clearly uh, an, an influence from Norman Vincent Peale, at least Donald Trump's style. So Donald Trump definitely had a religious background, but he had not lived uh, a very uh, remarkable Christian life. He had not claimed religion as much of a factor in his life. Uh, He had not associated with religious leaders very much until he decided to run for president. I mean, this he himself says. And the person who really made a difference in his life politically at this moment was a woman named Paula White, very famous televangelist, um, unusual, rather pretty, rather shapely, very gifted speaker, very popular in the the African-American community, Christian community in America. And she uh, has pastored a number of churches with her husband, and she has a a television show. And Donald Trump was watching her one night while she was, was preaching on vision, and he really related to what she was saying. It fit a lot of things he believed about vision, a lot of things he had learned from Norman Vincent Peale. So he met her over time. She started to become sort of the chaplain to his company, the people in his company. And when he decided to run for president, he asked her to put together some listening sessions where he could hear from prominent clergy in the country and uh, begin to understand their concerns. Well, Paula White really did a great job. She brought together Protestants and Catholics and Jews and even some Muslims and Orthodox and Orthodox believers and and, and, and etc. She she really went way beyond her Pentecostal roots um, and reached broadly. And this really exposed Donald Trump to the concerns, the challenges, the worries of some of the nation's most prominent clergy. So when Donald Trump ran even against Christian uh, people, evangelicals in the primaries, and then against Hillary Clinton, one of the most religiously outspoken politicians of our generation, um, Donald Trump not only knew the language, but he could Sound the tones that religious people wanted to hear. You need to understand that when he ran, most religious conservatives in America felt traumatized by the Obama years and terrified of the Hillary Clinton years. Uh, there had been lawsuits against against religious orders of nuns, for heaven's sakes. The Green family, who owned Hobby Lobby, were sued by the Obama Justice Department uh, for not offering in their in their employee insurance plan. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a very difficult time for churches, for Christians, for religious conservatives, uh, they felt attacked by their own government. Uh, Mr. Obama had foolishly said in, in the early early in the cam his campaign, first campaign, you know, that people cling to religion because they're bitter in the same way they cling to guns. I mean, this just seemed to be uh, his perspective on religion. As you may know from my book, it, it was not all there was to his orientation on religion, but it was certainly understandable that religious conservatives would not consider him a friend. And they certainly didn't consider Hillary Clinton to be a friend. Uh, she she said things like, well, in order for abortion rights to prevail, long held religious values are going to have to be removed. I mean, this was the way she would speak and it would terrify religious conservatives. So all of that to say... By the time you came down to the election, uh, Donald Trump knew the language of religious conservatives, shared their concerns, uh, was able to sound the right tones, pulled a lot of prominent clergy uh, to his side. Dr. Jeffress from First Baptist Dallas is a prominent example. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. from Liberty University, another prominent example. And these men spoke for him. These men helped to rebrand him. These men helped to sell him to the Christian community, along, of course, with the help of Paula White and and many others, by the way. In the book, I track all of this. I talk about why uh, conservative religious religious Americans would have been uh, drawn to Donald Trump. I talk about why many Americans were drawn to him who weren't that religious, um, that he channeled their rage, for example, and that he was as uh, many of the things that, that, that the press would speak of as being negatives about Donald Trump were, frankly, the way many Americans felt about themselves. You know, we could talk about his foul language. Most Americans cuss. We could talk about his divorces. Many Americans either are divorced or are sympathetic to those who are. And so all, the, many of the so un, supposedly negative things about Donald Trump were, in fact, positives to average Americans. But I also take to task in this book, the religious leaders who oversold Donald Trump. Now, I've made it very clear in this podcast before that I am a conservative, I am right of center, and I'm glad for much that Donald Trump champions. I, I did not vote for him. I didn't vote for Hillary either, but I did not vote for him, uh, largely over uh, issues of race, uh, largely over uh, the his insulting manner with people, uh, largely because I thought that, he would cost us uh, a great deal of lost ground on some important social fronts in america, and I thought there were better people to run for office and i and i'm not I'm not going to vote for someone uh just because they represent some of my views if they're going to do more damage than good and so i've I've been very very upfront about that so though I'm a conservative and though I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry for much of what Donald Trump says he's going to champion, we'll see if he actually does or not. Um, I was deeply concerned by those religious leaders who oversold him. They, they the, Many of the religious leaders who were, who were grateful that he championed their, their issues, the Johnson Amendment, religious liberty, a check on LGBT issues, um, being pro-life, these things that he at least spoke about, we'll see if he actually acts on them or not. Because he championed these things, many conservative religious leaders, many people on the religious right, many evangelicals, um, evangelical leaders rallied to him. And they began to sell him to the religious uh, to religious Americans they began to talk about him being a uh, Lincoln they began to talk about him being a Churchill they began to talk about him uh, being a, like a Cyrus the Great or a Darius you may have heard these illustrations from the Old Testament um, they began to try to rebrand him and to speak of him as the Christians hope and I felt like they should have maintained more prophetic distance I felt I believe strongly that the there's a way that a Christian can speak to a person in office or a candidate, pastor them personally if they're open to it, uh, call them to a higher moral vision, help them apply a moral grid to what they do in policy, uh, hold up a biblical worldview before their eyes, um, but, but not get in bed with them, to use our crass phrase, uh, not, not just join their PR team, uh, not sell them to, uh, from their pulpits, so to speak. And I felt like that was done. I think it's going to cost us. Let me give you a a few illustrations of where this is going to cost us um, as I close. 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. But let me say that again. 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. But evangelicals of color look at that race and say, huh, so I guess white evangelicals didn't care that he said insulting things about blacks. That he said insulting things about Mexicans, um, that 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 he that he basically dismissed us and spoke disparagingly of people of my color. Um, that's going to cost us that's going to be a rift in the church and a rift in our culture that's going to continue and i think it may be one of the reasons that that racial issues are are heightening um e- even now i'm not blaming all that on donald trump it has to do with everything uh from police behavior and um and anger uh you know on the left and and other factors but nevertheless uh, the, the the election of donald trump is part of it Uh, I I think that that that's one place it's going to cost us. I think also uh, for those who are people of faith and those who care about the next generation, there's a tremendous amount of offense on the part of millennials. Uh, millennials are just shocked that Donald Trump is our president. They are disgusted that evangelical and conservative and Jesus loving churches supported him and pastors went out of their way to endorse him. And they are now distancing themselves from church, from conservative faith, uh, from evangelicalism, frankly, Uh, in in rather large numbers. We're seeing a dramatic increase in the number of nuns. Uh, We're seeing evangelical youth or youth who formerly attended evangelical churches pull away. And is this all Donald Trump's fault? No, but it may be connected to how conservative leaders completely got in bed with Donald Trump and didn't maintain prophetic distance, didn't love him, speak to him, help him in his personal spiritual life, but publicly uh, ask him to step towards a biblical perspective on politics and policy, which would have included racial reconciliation, which would have included compassion for those who did not believe as he did, which would have put a check on his Encouragement of violence at his, at his rallies. And yes, he did. He actually, I won't go into detail, but there's no question he encouraged violence at his rallies and uh, would have put a check uh, on his foul language. So I'm not going back into Donald Trump's distant past and blaming him for uh, videos and, and, and things of that nature. I'm actually talking about the way he conducted himself in the campaign these were things that uh, religious leaders should not have taken just a boys will be boys kind of attitude. Religious leaders should have said, look, there are policies he's committed to that we want to encourage. We want to help him be mature and full-bodied about that. But there are things we want to check in his life. We're not joining his PR team. We're not getting into bed with him. Uh, We are calling him to be his best and calling him to God and calling him to righteousness, whatever that may cost us. That I believe is the art of prophetic distance. And that I believe is how religious people are to confront and hold accountable those who are in office. So it's all a fascinating story. We're living it out every day. There's a lot of disgust. There's a lot of division. Churches have split. Families have split. Uh, The culture is split all over this issue. I'm not blaming Donald Trump for all of it. Lord knows he's not that powerful. And he basically, I think, intends to do good, although he does it clumsily. But these are issues we need to understand. And that's why I wrote the book, Choosing Donald Trump, God anger hope and why Christian conservatives supported him get it and let's talk about this some more Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author a popular speaker and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN his groundbreaking books on faith and society include the faith of George W Bush "The search for God in Guinness Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.